He's at the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. Dawson out to Harris for a three ball. He got it. Kennedy looking, center shot. The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. Completion. Live from Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is The Pack. And your host, Fino. That is right, everyone. Your host, Fino, alongside. Happy World Cup Monday, as they say, June 16, 2014, um, Fino along with Faith and John Yale's behind the glass. It's good to be with both of you. Austin Goodman is no is not with us today. He had a flat tire. Uh, he is stuck probably somewhere on Route 96. So um, we wish him all the best, and hopefully AAA can get you soon, and we can get you back on air. Anyway, hope everyone had a great Father's Day weekend. Um, I know I had a fabulous weekend back home in New Jersey, so it's good to be back in the 517. And um, that being said, Faith... Um, it's good to have you back on the show. Yeah, I'm very excited to be back. I'm excited to talk some FIFA World Cup. <laughs> right. I know that's all I've been watching the past few days, except for I did go to the Tigers game on Saturday. And how was that? It was amazing, incredible game. So Great, great. Did they win? Yes, they did. But, yeah. I mean, they kind of fell apart at the end. Oh, those They the won 12-7. Jo- to 7. Oh, it was the Joe Nathan mm-hmm. game. Ah, they won. And then, of course, we got the guy behind the glass, John Yales, our executive producer, the guy that makes really everything happen. So we got to give him a shout at the top of the show. Johnny, how are you? How's it going? Not too bad. I'm doing way better with the United States up one nothing. It's halftime uh, against Ghana with the goal 31 seconds into the game. First minute, Clint Dempsey scores. So that'll be great. We'll be talking with that with our guest, Jeremy Sanson, the owner of Lansing United. He'll be on in about three minutes. But before we really delve into our soccer talk, uh, Major League Baseball lost an angel today. Um, Tony Gwynn Jr. passed away from cancer. He lost his battle at the age of 54 years old, and it's it's terrible to see Mr. Padre, as he was known in San Diego, um, lose his battle with cancer. And, an all, and a Hall of Famer, an all-time great, Major League Baseball will not be the same without this, without this player. I mean, watching Tony Gwynn playing, one of the best right fielders I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I watched him probably toward the tail end of his career. I wasn't privileged enough to see his dominant years, but when I say his dominant years, when this guy was 37 years of age, batted 372, 119 RBI, 17 home runs. But I just want to just read off some stats from Tony Gwynn Jr. just to the listeners, just to give him some sort of honor on the show here on, on The Pact. During the 1995 season, in 535 at-bats, Tony Gwynn Jr. struck out 15 times in a season. Needless to say, he won the batting title that year, Mr. Padre. And that season that he struck out only 15 times, Faith, I mean, pretty unbelievable. He batted 368. How about this? From 1993 to 1997, Tony Gwynn batted 368 over a five-year span. He won the batting title four of those five seasons. And the year he didn't win the batting title, he batted 358, Mr. Padre. What about in 323 at-bats versus Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer, John Smoltz, Hall of Famer, Pedro Martinez, going to be a Hall of Famer, and Greg Maddox? In between those four pitchers, Tony Gwynn only struck out three times. Two of them were to Tom Glavin, a former 300-game winner in this league, Mr. Padre. So... Just to wrap it up very quick, it's very sad. and I'm at a loss of words. It's not the news you want to wake up to in the morning that Tony Gwynn Jr., who has lost his battle with mouth cancer, I believe it was. Uh, it's just a shame, and I'm disgusted because it's. I'm at a loss of words. A Major League Baseball lost an angel, as I reiterate. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to Mr. Padre, the whole Major League Baseball community. I am not a Padres fan, but I'm a baseball fan. And it's terrible to see someone lost their life at a 54 years young. That being said, um, unfortunately, we have to switch notes. And we're going to bring in Lansing United owner Jeremy Sampson. He is joining us from Jimmy's Pub 
over there on Deep and Abbott Road, right where actually Lands United practices. We welcome the owner of Lansing United and an advocate uh, for U.S. soccer, Jeremy Sampson, to the pack. Jeremy, uh, good to have you on the show. Good, good, great. Um, how uh, it's great to have you on the show. But let me ask you this, Jeremy: Lands United, a uh, pretty swimming success so far, would you say? Jeremy, did we lose him? Ooh, John, you want to reconnect with Jeremy Sampson for us? Looks like we just lost him. Yeah, I'll get back with him. Yeah, we'll get back with him. Little technical difficulties here, um, here on the back. But that's no. Wouldn't be a show without one, right? (laughs) Wouldn't be a show without a little technical difficulties. But that being said, we got Jeremy Sampson. We'll get him back. John will connect with him. But pretty unbelievable stuff. Faith out of Lansing United. Uh, You know, MPSL. They're coming in. Detroit City really has a Detroit market, and really the Michigan market. You get a couple teams coming in. Lansing United, a brand new team. Faith. They're four two two on the season. Looks like it's pretty successful, and they're getting exponential numbers of attendance for every game. Yeah, Lanu is tied for second right now in the division. Like you said, Detroit City Football Club is just one above them. They have uh, five wins and two draws, but Lansing United is right behind them. Yeah. And like you said, they had, they've had they had record numbers. You know, the first game they had 975 come out. Second game they had 836, but that was a Sunday. So remember that there's work the next day, so people are probably waiting in for work the next day. And then the third game that they had at home, they had over 1,000 people come out, which is incredible. You want to know the unbelievable part for me about the Lands United success story is that every game Lands United plays and every home game they have at the, Lan- at the East Lansing Soccer Complex, Faith, they get increased attendance numbers and more fans every game. It's just more evidence that the sport of soccer is growing and growing and growing. And now we're seeing that with Lands United. And I know we're in this World Cup theme today. And we see it, Faith. If you don't think soccer is growing in this country, guess what? Soccer has arrived and it's here to stay. And like you said, um, more people are coming out to watch the sport. And just you know, to go off a little bit off the World Cup, an estimated 4.4 million viewers watched the first world you know the starting world cup game you know and that's the best opening game of the world cup since it started tailing local ratings in 1998 which is incredible there's no doubt about it that ever since the united states got the world cup if we're going to take this to a world cup discussion real quick (laughs) uh with the united states getting the world cup in 1994 i don't know if a lot of listeners do know this faith but with that uh accepted bid of hosting the world cup in 94 the major league soccer was formed the first domestic U.S. soccer league in 1996. And ever since then, soccer, in my opinion, has continued to grow. And we see it. 2010, you saw record numbers watching the World Cup. Now you're seeing in 2014, a couple of the opening games, millions of people are watching the game right now. And speaking of that game, the United States is up one nothing on a Clint Dempsey goal. And that second half just started. But lucky for us, we'll have John Yales behind the glass giving us all the updates we need in that game. So good to be said about little United States chances. But just taking it back to Lanyu, Faith, uh, there's been a lot of critics, and we have to talk about the naysayers in Lanyu that are saying that Lanza United will not succeed. I've seen, I've heard a lot of it, a lot of jive, as Doug Warren on the drive would say. Uh, you hear a lot of naysaying talk that soccer will never come here. It's a fad. I've heard it all, Faith. But I'm curious to know. You've been to Lions United. You've been out the East Lansing Soccer Complex to see this team play. Although they did take a crushing defeat on the hands of, I believe it was Cincinnati, their last game. They were off this weekend, but the atmosphere is pretty unbelievable. No, it's absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, you know, you see the Sons of Ransom come out. That's, you know, their band of guys who just are in full support of this team. And I, I hope to see them grow in the future. But, you know, you do have to wonder how long, you know, people are going to be excited. Yes, this is the first year that the soccer team will, you know, has started, but will that excitement continue with the fans? Will people continue coming out, you know, whether it be next year, but four or five years down the road as well? No doubt about it, Faith. I just want to make a quick correction. I mentioned Tony Gwynn Jr. That is Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn Jr. is on the bereavement list for his father. Just want to make a quick correction of that. Um, He's a Philadelphia uh, Phillies outfielder. So, you know, our condolences are with you as everyone in the major league community is feeling that. But let's just take this to kind of a land you debate. John, are we uh, are we reconnected with Jeremy at all? Is he on the line? We should be good. Okay, so, you know, with that being said, it was on speakerphone. Let's bring Jeremy Sampson back on the pact here to talk about his land you success <laughs> so far. So, Jeremy, a little technical difficulties, but it seemed we finally reconnected with you. 
Hey guys, much better <laughs> this time around. How are you? Yeah, good. We're doing great. Uh, we couldn't, you know, you know, we couldn't fathom to ask you about how great, I, in my opinion, Lands United has been giving soccer to the Mid Michigan area. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, I certainly appreciate that. It's uh, it's been a venture, you know, three years in the making, bringing it here to Lansing, and uh, you know, certainly midway through our first year, it's been very successful. Uh, both on the field and uh, with the support that we've received so far from the mid-Michigan community, uh, it's, it's far exceeded even my expectations, which is has been great. Well, let's just take the off uh, the on the field success, the four two and two seasons thus far. Let's take that aside. Let's talk about how this dream came into fruition. You said it was three years ago. What really was the moment that you decided? and really thought about it was a realistic goal to bring a soccer team to the mid-Michigan area? Well, when we first looked at, at doing it, you know, there are so many different leagues and levels within the USA soccer pyramid that we did our due diligence looking at what would be the best fit for Lansing. And uh, all roads eventually led us to the NPSL and the business model that they have and uh, just their thoughts and philosophy on, on growing the game and uh, looking at the soccer community in mid-Michigan and trying to make that happen. So what we did last year is put together our business plan. We submitted it just before Halloween, and then uh, we were fortunate enough uh, to be granted a franchise shortly after. We're talking with Jeremy Sampson, owner of a Lansing United MPSL team uh, here in mid-Michigan. Jeremy, so you mentioned about all the, the on-the-field success. The off-the-field success has been, a, in my opinion, I think it's been outstanding. You've seen the attendance numbers, and you can't close your eyes and close your ears, really, to the naysayers saying that you guys won't make it, it's a financial disaster. You know, what do you have to say about, really, the support that Land U has been getting in the Michigan area? We've had naysayers, really? People yeah. didn't think yeah. we were going to succeed? <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, just like in anything else, um, you know, there's going to be those people who doubt uh, what you can do. And, you know, we've taken a look at that as a franchise and and just tried to use that as motivation to succeed. Um, You know, after three games, we're averaging 960 fans per game. And uh, as I mentioned before, you know, it's even exceeded my expectations. And it's it's been a lot of fun, and, and I can't thank the Mid Michigan community enough. And and I don't want to just limit it to the soccer community because we've had many many people come out to our one of our first three games, if not more, who uh, have never been to a game before, uh, but have come up to check it out, see what we're about, and you know leave smiling and and looking forward to our next game. And so we've tried to tap into the soccer community, obviously, but also those who've never been before just to give them a taste of, of what it might be like. And, and I'm glad, you know, you guys did mention before I was on the Sons of Ransom, and I can't give those guys enough credit because they've really helped fuel the atmosphere at our games and make it a, a fun place to watch a game and a true home field advantage for our team. No doubt about it. But with the Sons of Ransom, you mentioned, and that was my follow-up question, Jeremy, is they're your supporter group. It's, as you mentioned, I believe you've said, it's a family-friendly supporter group versus something like a Detroit City, which is a little more, I like to call, rogue or not exactly family-friendly. Would you ever want to see the Sons of Ransom kind of tread that line, or do you really love what they're doing for the club? I absolutely love what they're doing. And, and at no time have I really dictated to them what they could do or what they couldn't do. Uh, when we first, you know, wanted to form a supporters group, you know, to me, the best supporters group is one that grows organically. So when I looked at, you know, what it was going to take to get this thing started, what I did is I tried to find a couple individuals who really wanted to spearhead this thing and, and get it going. And, and we were lucky enough to find three individuals uh, who have just really taken the bull by the horns and when I met with them, we talked about the philosophy of the club and what we wanted to be about on the field, off the field, in the community. They understood that. They understood that some of the, you know, crassness or, if you will, some of the other things, really, it, that wasn't what they were about. I didn't have to tell them that's not what we're about. It's not what they're about. And so, to me, that's an important aspect, too. 
I absolutely love what they've done. Uh, we took a picture uh, together, uh, the three of us, with head coach Eric Rudlin before the first game, and I told him, I said, I said, guys, you wait. You wait until next year when you're 200 strong, and you know we're going to remember this photo. And they've gone from half a dozen to now, I think they had close to 50 or 60 people wow. in their section at our last home game. We're talking with Jerry Sam- Jeremy Sampson, the owner of Lands United, um, who spearheaded the soccer movement here in mid-Michigan. Jeremy, i got to ask you one more question before I flip it over to my panelist, Faith. You mentioned the Sons of Ransom, the success, but what about really all the fans and the family that have come out, purchased merchandise, and really spearheaded the movement? You've grown in numbers. You've doubled your season tickets. I think you said you only expected to get 100. You've doubled that. You had over 200. I mean, where are we at really with the finances of Lands United? Well, I I mean, that's not, you know, something I'm going to discuss publicly, nor do I really need to discuss publicly. Um, you know, what I can tell you is, is that uh, the league has, has given us a business model and gives everybody a business model where you can be successful. And we have tried to follow that model to a T. And so far, I can tell you, so good. Well, I can tell you this, Jeremy. You don't need a need to discuss numbers in this situation because anyone with eyes, in my opinion, can see that Lance United has already been a complete success and what they're doing in the MPSL beating opponents that really opponents didn't know what to expect, beating teams here in Michigan, the Michigan Stars, and giving Detroit City a fight for their lives and established teams. So I think it's an excellent effort, and you should nothing but tip your cap to that. Yeah, we're very, very pleased, as I mentioned, with the way things have gone to begin the season, for sure. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming on. I'm so happy to have you here. Got a few questions for you. Um, hey, Faith, when, how are you? I'm good. How about you? Good. Good. Well, when you guys played Detroit City, there was about 3,000 people who came out to watch this game. You know, all the other away games have kind of drawn a small fan base. You know, against Erie, there were probably only 75 people there. What are you doing differently here in Lansing that has kept a consistent number of fans coming out? You know, it's, it's hard to tell what we're doing differently from everybody else because I don't know exactly what they're doing. What I can tell you is, is what we're doing. And, and we've, you know, our marketing efforts have been kind of threefold. You know, first thing is we wanted to reach out to the youth soccer communities within our area. And we have three pretty significant premier youth clubs and a fourth one who's just beginning in our area. So I knew that was going to be an important market to tap into. Uh, we've also also tapped into the, the Castle Group, which is kind of, you know, they're, they're the umbrella for all the youth organizations within mid-Michigan. So they are the umbrella over the 27 different communities that, you know, offers programs and teams for youth soccer players. So we've tapped into those. And then we've also tried to tap into, as I mentioned before, some of the non-soccer people. So, you know, we've really tried to do a lot with our community outreach. Um, we've had Relay for Life come to our games. We've got uh, some things planned in the future. We're going to have a blood drive at our next game. So we've really tried to reach out to the community. And as I mentioned, tap into some of those non-soccer folks, get them to a game, let them see what, that, what we're all about. And uh, a majority of the time, they wanted to come back. So I think that's kind of been, and I can't forget about social media. We've really tried to tap into Facebook and Twitter and, and grow from that standpoint and we've really had a lot of success doing that so far. You know, and like you said, it's the first year. Everyone's excited. It's something new in the community. But, you know, what about next year or three or four years down the road? How, do, how long do you think this excitement will last? You know, I was on a, a radio show earlier today, and the host asked me the same question. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, I'm only halfway through my first year. <laughs> they want me to think about next year already and what we're going to do. Uh, but I mean, it's a fair question. Um, you know, what, what we've tried, or what, you know, the first game we had 972 people. And so you take a look at that and you say, it's great. You know, right, first game, people are excited. They're going to come out and watch. What I said to myself was, how do we sustain that? And so the next game we had 820-some, so we weren't quite where we're at. But, you know, you, you still had a pretty good number. And then the third game we go over 1,000. So my whole mantra has been, how do you sustain this? And, and that's, you know, when this season is over and we start looking toward 2015, 
It's going to be about sustaining what we have now and how do we grow. So uh, to me, I'm very excited with the numbers that we've had over the first, uh, the first you know, three home games that we've had. But I also know there's a lot of people out there that we haven't touched yet, and there's still room for us to grow. And for us as an organization, that's very exciting. We're, and we're very excited to see that for you. And just one last question. You know, you've got two kids, a wife. How do you balance family, a full-time job, and owning an amateur sports team? Because that's a lot to deal with. <laughs> oh, Faith, I don't sleep much. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's been a challenge. Uh, there's no doubt. But uh, without that aspect of, of family, as you mentioned, I mean, when I was working at, at uh, uh, Michigan State, Channel 6, Channel 10, no matter what it was, uh, I was used to having some, some crazy and some different work hours. Uh, the difference here is that, you know, this is something that I can do with the family. Uh, I couldn't always take them along to games with me and do that kind of stuff. So it's been a lot of fun to share a lot of the experiences that we've had. Uh, they've had a chance to go on some road games, you know, with the team. And, uh, you know, being able to share the experience with, uh, with my wife and kids has been pretty special. We're talking with Jeremy Sampson, the owner of Lands United, the amateur MPSL team here in mid-Michigan. Jeremy, i got to ask you one more question because I've been bugging John Yales. I'm trying to get myself a Lands United jersey. I can't find it. <laughs> so where can I find one of these jerseys? Well, it's, uh, that, is, that is a great question. In fact, uh, I, I'm dealing with our distributor right now to okay. figure out when we are going to have more jerseys available. Um, you know, when you work with a company the size of Nike, sometimes there are challenges mm. that do pop up. And one of those challenges right now is how quickly they can deliver additional jerseys to us. Um, you know, we had a pre-sale and we sold out um, our pre-sale, so we're looking to get some more in. And it's just a matter of when they're going to be able to make those available to us. And I wish I could promise you a date right now that they'd be available. And if I had one, I would. Uh, but we're still working with them and with Nike to figure out exactly when we're going to have some more available. Well, I know a lot of fans will be pl- uh, be el- elated to really hear that news because I'm not the only one asking for a Land U jersey. <laughs> it seems like Lands United is the hottest commodity here in the 517 in the Michigan area. Jeremy, we just want to thank you for coming on the show and talk a little minutes with us. We know you're at Jimmy's uh, watching the United States, hopefully close out a win against Ghana. Um, and I got to ask you a prediction. I know it's still one nothing, but who do you think is going to win this game? Well, I'll be honest. I'm really nervous right now because uh, the U.S. scored that first, that goal in the first minute. Um, you know, it was a, a really good goal by Dempsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they played really well. I thought the next ten minutes and kind of kept the pressure on. But ever since then, I've watched them sit back and and kind of withstand. And there's you know 28 minutes left in this game right now, and I'm a little nervous as to that that tactic of sitting back and letting Ghana kind of take the play to you, trying to hold on for this one nothing scoreline and maybe hit on the counterattack when you can. Uh, in my opinion, the U.S. needs to get some more possession of the ball, be able to keep that possession. And uh, as I tell my daughter all the time in her games, when your team's ahead, if, uh, if you have possession of the ball, the other team can't score. And right now we need some more possession out of the U.S. and uh, a little less uh, sitting back and trying to defend. Well said from the owner himself. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show. We hope to have you on in the near future to talk about how well your season's going. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. And uh, as a former host of the show, you're doing a great job. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. All the best. Take care. Yes, you too. And that's Jeremy Sampson, the great owner from Lands United Faith. I thought that was an excellent interview. He gave his take. They got to hold the ball more. He's great. And, you know, next their next home game at East Lansing Soccer Complex will be Sunday the 29th. And so I'm looking forward to that game. I want to go out there. 2 o'clock game against Buffalo or FC Buffalo. We're going to take a quick break here on the pack. When we come back, we're going to have Godwin Adai, the midfielder of Lansing United, talk about this Ghana United States game. He happens to be uh, born from Ghanaian parents. Should be interesting to get his take and his perspective on a very close game in Brazil. When we come back, we'll bring you that. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student 
as a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That is right, Fino here on The Pact, your host, always from every Monday from 7 to 8 here on 88.9 FM WDBM, along with Faith and John Yales behind the glass. Dan Tyler, special shout out to him. He is our social media guy tweeting for the evening. Good to have you, and thanks for coming on board, Dan. Um, great interview, Faith, with Jeremy Sampson. I know we spoke about that real quick before we went to the break, but I thought he broke down the game well, and I think Lands United is nothing but a success. I mean, like you said, they're number two in the division right now, tied for second. So I'm excited to see what's to come. They have a few more games ahead left this summer. So we'll see where I mean, where they put, where it puts them. Should be exciting. Um, and this brings us to our next discussion, which is a little World Cup talk. Uh, I know some people um, in the area are not really familiar with how the World Cup works. But really with the World Cup... 32 teams qualifying over three-year span. So really, after the last World Cup, so 2010 South Africa, a year is played off, and then once 2011 commences, you start qualifying three years, Faith, in advance for a World Cup. So hard to believe. It's a lot that, of preparation. Oh, it's absolutely a lot of preparations and conference tournaments in between. And people wonder, oh, how does the World Cup just miraculously come together and work? Well, they do a demo um, like a mini World Cup, uh, I like to call it, but it's the FIFA Confederations Cup, which is the champions of each individual region, and they play an eight-team tournament, eight regions that make it up, uh, and play like a demo World Cup in that aspect, so all the venues work great, they play in the same uh, same country, they travel the same way, each have bases like they do in this World Cup. So ironically, in 2009, uh, I'm sorry, 2009, Brazil won, and 2013, Brazil won as well. Here's the here's a little statistic for you. A team that has won the Confederation Cup has never won the World Cup the consecutive year. So it's very interesting to see that in that aspect of it. It was like, hey, are you going to make it? Are you not? Are you going to break the curse? Kind of like the Madden cover a couple years ago. So no doubt about it. But, John Yales, are we connected with Godwin here? We are good to go with Godwin to die, the midfielder of Lands United of Ghanaian descent. I'm going to have to beleaguer him a little bit about how Ghana's playing, but we bring Godwin to the show. Godwin, uh, how are you? And thanks for taking some time. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank ah, you. Oh, no problem. So, uh, midfielder, Lands United. Let me just ask you before I ask you a couple World Cup questions. Yeah. How is that uh, playing for Land U and under Jeremy and under Coach Rudland been? It's been great. Uh, I've been uh, coached by Coach uh, Eric Rutland before. I know what he uh, presents on the, the pitch and what he what he expects from his players, and he treats his players really well. And um, Jeremy's been a good manager. Uh, he invited us over for uh, dinner one day, and you know he's been treating the players right. So I, I'm really I feel at home when I'm here. Excellent. We're talking with Godwin Adai, the midfielder of Lansing United. Godwin, uh, I got to ask you now. Um, John Yales told me to ask you. You come from Ghanaian descent. Your yeah. parents are both from Ghana. Uh, yeah. Where in Ghana are they actually from? Uh, my mom, both actually parents are from Kumasi. Okay. Uh, and they come from uh, two different tribes. And uh, yeah, so both come from Kumasi. And uh, uh, we have both have a big family. Uh, my mom has a, about 10 siblings. Uh, wow. Sisters and brothers and my dad as well, so it's it's good. Let me ask you this, Godwin. Being a Black Star supporter, as I heard you are, uh, yeah. it, must, it must be tough watching you there in a very pro-United States crowd over at Jimmy's. Oh, it's impossible right now. I'm <laughs> keeping quiet as best as I can. But <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Best. Let me ask you this. It's in the 67th minute now. Uh, yeah. What do you think about the game so far that's breaking out for Ghana? It seems like, uh, to me, Ghana has really been controlling the tempo ever since that first goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the first goal really uh, woke us up, you know, because um, we were a bit on our heels. But right now we've been controlling the game. Uh, Kevin Prince, has, uh, he entered the game. And so I'm hoping a little bit of magic from him or or from Asamoah or somebody that uh, could put the ball in the net. 
So uh, I'm anxious. I can't sit down right now, so I'm standing up. So let's see. What about the loss to Portugal? It was really a shellacking, a 4 nothing defeat they took on the hands of the Germans. Does that yeah. breathe some light for you that maybe if Ghana loses this game, they can sneak a couple games and going through this group? Or do you see this game against the United States as a must-win? Yeah, well, I mean, in in, in the group stages, you, you hope that the team loses, so and, and it goes in your favor. And so the best right now that I'm seeing the way the game's going, if we, I, we would want to win, but... Right now, we're looking for a tie because of Portugal with zero points, Germany with three, and we could end up with one point, and then we go off to Germany and play against Germany. So with Portugal, it's unfortunate with Pepe with the red card and um, Cristiano not fully healthy. So, I mean, that plays in our advantage as well as the rest of the, the teams in the group. We're talking with Godwin Adai, the midfielder of Lanza United. Godwin, that's an excellent point that you made about Ghana. They're looking for a draw here. Do you think the Ghanaians are really playing back and hoping for a draw? Or they're going to scoop in and play for three here? No, knowing Ghanaians, we don't go for draws. We go for wins. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we can score a goal sooner, later in the the time, then we'll go for the win. But right now, it seems like we're, we're doing our best to just score that one goal that could give us that, that draw, you know what I mean? And then if and if we score early on, then we could score more and then we could win the game. So that's what we're hoping for. Let me ask you this, though. So you mentioned really how you see Ghana playing out in this game. Let's talk about more the World Cup as a whole. Coming yeah. into the World Cup in Brazil, what were your expectations for this Ghana team? Well, the World Cup in Brazil, well, mainly Brazil is one of the biggest um, football nations. Yeah. And so... Coming to Brazil, it was a really big thing um, for many, many reasons. And so the expectation is really high so far, but the only thing that's different is supposedly the heat has been a huge factor. Mm-hmm. And uh, with players, and you can see already some players have been uh, pulling out with hamstring injuries, uh, hydration problems and stuff. So I think that's the only negative side. But besides that, I, I know that I have friends in uh, Brazil right now that are enjoying their time. They say everything's great. Nothing's been wrong, so... I think it's just the heat for the players that they're just dealing with. I can only imagine the heat in Brazil is really an issue because I believe it's uh, winter over there in Brazil. Yeah, yes, and, it's winter right now. Yeah, that's unbelievable. It's winter and it's still scorching hot. Unbelievable. But yeah. let, let me ask you this, Godwin. Uh, Ghana aside, realistically, who do you see winning this World Cup? Ghana aside? Yeah, Ghana aside. Forget Ghana aside. Uh, well, um, I told my friends that I had to see all. 11, I had to see all the World Cup team playing. But That's a good point. From what I've seen so far, I, I'm kind of leaning towards Germany and uh, you know Italy. And Italy looked good, but Germany looks the best so far that I've seen in Netherlands actually. So those are the two teams I think that will uh, will go far in the World Cup. Let me ask you this. I just need a little soccer expertise. Someone coming from Spanish descent, I am a Spain fan. I do like España muchísimo. Um, <laughs> that being said, is there any hope for uh, my Spanish team at all, or do you think they're just dead in rice? Oh, to tell you the truth, there's no worries for Spain because last World Cup they lost. And, um, we get just, used to winning, ar- right? And right. now we lose 5-1 and everyone wants to jump off and run with the Bulls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> see, that, that's, how, that's how it is. You know, critics, you know, they come first right after you and if you make, if you lose, and, and but I think this was good for Spain because it takes all the pressure off of them, and really they just need to get two wins and they they go through. And I think they're they're capable, more than capable of doing it. The way they play football is is the best football, but they just need to get themselves together and they'll be fine. Music to my ears, spoken like a champion, Godwin. Thank, uh, thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much for taking some time and talking with us. We'll let you get back to the party over there at Jimmy's. We we'll wish you the best this season and go Lansing United. Thank you for having me. Thank Thanks, you Godwin. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, great interview there with Godwin and Die Faith. I thought he was wonderful, uh, really. Very humble, even with the Ghanaian fan that he is. He's staying quiet. It seems like he's being pretty <laughs> respectful over there. It's nice to get his opinion of like his own team, um, especially against the United States. So, And I agree with him. Germany is somebody to look out for, especially they're in our group. So, I agree. The Germans are a very good team in the United States' group. They took Portugal to the woodshed for nothing. Portugal now will be out with Pepe for the match against the United States. That will be a big loss. Uh, Contreo, what is his deal? Is he going to be fit? Ronaldo definitely is not 100% in my opinion. I think Portugal is on the way out. But I got to get John Yales in on the soccer discussion. To me, John, if the United States can get three points out of Ghana, I understand they're up one nothing. 
It started so promising, but it's so sloppy. If the United States can get this result, I think they can get through. Yeah, I think this is everyone's goal was to get three points out of Ghana and you set yourself in a perfect situation. To You can tie Portugal, and especially looking at that Portugal game against uh, Germany, you might even be able to get a win out of that, even with Cristiano Ronaldo and the fear that that puts in people's eyes. Um, so I, I think they're in a good spot if they can get three points. Now, Ghana's got our number. I don't think you can turn this game off until the 95th minute or whatever it's going to be. But Oh, extra time again, can you imagine? Obviously not, it's group stage, but anytime I hear like 90-something minute, 100th minute with Ghana, I cringe, um, definitely as a United States supporter, Faith. And, you know, if they win this game, it's going to put them in a very good position. Look at those three points, and they probably need four or five in order to make it out of this I would group. say five points. Five points, yeah. Um, but looking at the group, I mean, you're going up against Ghana, who first knocked the Americans out of the last two World Cups. Then you, then you go up against Portugal, who probably has one of the best players, Ronaldo. And uh, then you go up against Germany, who has made more World Cup semifinals than any other country. 12 out of 17 appearances. Let me bring this up, though. And I'm curious to know if you guys both know this stat. Ghana's defeated the United States, in, as Faith mentioned, uh, in the last two World Cups. 2006 group stage, round of 16 in 2010 in South Africa. But check this out. No team has defeated another team in three consecutive World Cups. So if the Ghanaians have find a way to defeat the United States, not draw, defeat the United States as they did in both 2006 in Germany, 2010 uh, in South Africa, and here in 2014, that's a feat, John, that no team has accomplished over another. So to give the Ghanaians some credit, that would be very impressive. Yeah, if you can beat a team over basically, what would that be? 12 years yeah that's so much can change in that time so that's why it's so impossible even if you are spain or whatever um it it just changes so much so if they can beat us obviously they have our number for the last two if they have it for three it's just gonna feel impossible every time we play them yeah it looks like the united states is still weathering the storm john do you want to give us maybe a quick united states world cup update yeah um like you guys have been saying ghana has just been pressuring us mostly the rest of this game ever since that um early goal the other big issue is injuries. A lot of guys have been pulling up, um, as we saw with Out the Door with the Hammy um, and a couple other guys. Matt Beasler now yeah, being and, subbed in for John Brooks. And just everyone looks, I don't know if it's the heat, I don't know what it is, but the United States um, players seem to be kind of pulling up with little injuries, not big deals, but things that might add up over a three-game stretch. Just keep that in mind. Let me ask you this, though, John. Godwin kind of alluded to this in our interview with him. He said it's the heat, but I- I'm asking him. It's, they're in the Southern Hemisphere. They're in an opposite season cycle as the United States is. My question really is, does the heat really drastically affect your fitness, especially your hamstrings and that kind of you know muscle tension and that nature? I think it might just fatigue you more and okay. fatigues more quickly. I don't think it's a huge advantage for South American teams or anything like that. Like we're we played in Florida, which is pretty much the same climate United as States. Yeah, as okay. as we're down here. Um, so I don't think it's a massive change. Obviously, so no big deal. Yeah, obviously some people are going to become injured, but that's going to happen anytime. I don't think all these injuries are happening because of the heat or because of the humidity or the rain in the rainforest. Yeah, no doubt about it. But let me ask you this, though. Now we heard from U.S. soccer. It's a strained hamstring for out the door. How realistic is it, John, that we can see out the door coming back in this World Cup? Or is it safe to say uh, his time is done in Brazil? I I don't know. I'd have to hear more about the injury. But obviously, I mean, you saw the injury. Give us maybe the listeners a take on what you saw. Well, he, he was just running by himself and basically pulled up. So that tells you. He, he he just pulled it, so it wasn't just a freak little accident. So he might have t- tore it. Um, it. We'll have to wait and see. It could be some fluke thing where he just walks off, or not walks off, but he comes back in a few days and he's able to walk. He's able to stretch it back out. I don't know. It, it, the bigger question is how big is it losing out the door? I think it's massive if you're a United States supporter here. If you're looking at this and you're without arguably your best striker, in my opinion, you, you know you don't have Landon Donovan in this 23. In my opinion... Donovan's not coming off the bench if he's on your bench, but if Altador comes out, you're plugging Donovan in and you're feeling, okay, we got the leading goal scorer and arguably the best player in U.S. soccer history on your back, but if now that you don't have him, you bring in Johnson who has not played in a World Cup, he's a young kid, 23 years old, Icelandic descent, it's tough for me if I'm looking at this, so to me, it's you really are holding your breath if you're a U.S. men's national fan here, the hope that Altador's all right. Could this be the perfect storm for all the... Donna, or all the Klinsman haters who said 
how could you not bring the guy on like this? If, say Altidore goes out, he's not able to play the rest of these games. Guys like Johansson, um, Wando can't score, and everyone's just going to point at if you if you had Donovan, could could this have been different? Could he have been the difference maker? What about Julian Green? I mean, you bring an 18-year-old kid who hasn't really had experience at all. He's up there at your front forward faith. Is really Jurgen Klinsmann going to be responsible and bring in Julian Green in? I mean, if you look at Altidore, Altidore and both Dempsey kind of got in a little... They both got injured in the first half of this game. I mean, Dempsey obviously came back in, but... What happened to Clint Dempsey? Oh, Dempsey. Oh, he got kicked in the face. And he was bleeding. Yes, he was bleeding. Yeah, he fell down on the ground, bleeding, nosebleed. But he came back in very quickly. But let's say he couldn't come back in. I mean, who is going to step up to the plate? Would that be, you know, we wish Donovan would have been there, but who would have, who's going to step up to the plate then? Because those are arguably two of the best forwards that they have. Here's my answer to that. Um, And I'm going to kind of do the runaround here. For all the Donovan haters, not really, or the Klinsman naysayers, now, for all the people that wanted to bury this conversation of Landon Donovan not being on this squad, just when we thought we were about to play soccer now, it's not it's not over now. This conversation resurfaced again. Landon Donovan now works for ESPN. He's going to have to answer these questions. Not really because he's an analyst, but I think behind the scenes, they're asking him these questions. Is it realistic that they call in Landon? Is that even possible, John? I don't think so. They can call him in, but I think he's definitely going to have to face those questions, even if he is an analyst. Of some, someone's going to try to throw that at him in some way. Of what would you have done out there if you were landing or if you were uh, out there, Donovan? That kind of stuff. So he's going to have to deal with it. It's going to be awkward. He was kind of awkward today on TV. He's never really been in the analyst role, but just think of him yeah, sitting. He was weird. Well, just think <laughs> of him sitting there, right. and they're asking him. What's it like to just be sitting in Los Angeles as you're watching your team that you've been with for eight years, ten years, you grew up with them, they're going to the World Cup, they're about to play in game one, and you're just sitting at home talking to us? What's that feel like? Like That's just the worst, that's probably the worst feeling in the world. Seeing him in, in that seat on ESPN was definitely different. He was very stoic, I thought, you know, very very trying to be professional, but he hasn't been in that position yet. But they were asking him questions along the lines of, you know, what? how did you feel when you woke up this morning? Which is kind of hard because he's not there. Woke up morning. That's how I woke up this morning. (laughs) But if you really want to look at this, let's take this on a tactical perspective. When you look at it, I look at it in a very peculiar way as a soccer fan, as a supporter, and, you know, I just love the game. Klinsman made only one sub tactically. The other two subs that he used were really for injuries. Matt Beasler and that really, at the end of the first half, he was replaced for another hamstring issue and replaced by John Anthony Brooks. You look out the door, obviously blew that hamstring out in the 17th minute-ish. You bring in Aaron Johansson in. So when I look at Klinsman out of his three substitutions, because you're only allowed to have three substitutions per per match. So for fans saying, hey, how come you don't bring in more people? Just want to clarify, you can only bring in three people. So that being said, two of Klinsman's subs were via injury. One was tactical. Is that an issue, John? I mean, when you look at it, it's kind of an issue. So I don't know. So, hey, it's all soccer. It's all fun. And it's faith. We're all stressing out here in studio watching the game. Still 1-0, so we'll see where we're at the 81st minute. So we got some time left. Tweet us your thoughts at MSU Impact Sports. Dan Tyler is answering all your questions via Twitter, or you can call in and give your opinion. 517-432-3893 is the number, taking you all the way to the top of the hour. But, Faith, when we come back, we're going to talk this NBA Finals. We'll turn the gear from one cramping issue to another, to basketball. It's not the air conditioning. It's San Antonio winning. San Antonio in five, and I believe I owed another one of our panelists, Faith, I owe him a nice dinner of his choosing. So unfortunately, I'll pay the bill for that. But we'll still talk about it when we come back here on The Pact. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building. Without all that smoking. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. 
Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues. Your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Prime Time. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right, Fino. We're back here on the Pact, taking you all the way to the top of the hour here. Number to call in, as always, 517-432-3893 is the number. And if you want to embrace the Spartan debate with us, that's the number to call, Faith. We'll change gears here a little bit. We're going to talk NBA Finals action. The Spurs, if you lived under a rock, the Spurs won the NBA championship last night in excruciating fashion, in my opinion. They won 104-87. It wasn't even a game. It was a blowout. And the only really game that there was was game two where Miami won 98-96 in San Antonio. And it was a game where LeBron played excellent. Well, let's be real. LeBron played exceptional every game of the series. But I think the story of this series, Faith, wasn't really mm, player versus star player. Duncan playing exceptional. I think it was the bench versus the bench. The Heat bench, in my opinion, looked absolutely depleted versus San Antonio's bench. And I gotta say it, folks. I said it last week on the pack. The X factor in this series was, guess who, Faith? Who did I say? You said it. Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. And in my opinion, Leonard was the X-Factor, was the X-Factor, NBA Finals MVP, no surprise. Now the 22-year-old has now an NBA championship and an NBA Finals MVP. So pretty exceptional stuff. That being said, we couldn't be without Austin Goodman today. He's got a flat tire issue, so that's unfortunate. So Goody, we hope that your tire is better, but we're glad you can spend a couple minutes with us on the pack talking basketball. Hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, not bad, Goody. Uh, Let me ask you this. How's the tire? Is it fixed or what? You know, the tire is okay. Uh, It took about two hours for AAA to get out to me. So uh, if you're using AAA, tell them to hurry up a little bit. Uh, No doubt about it. My only experience with AAA was Safety Patrol in fifth grade. That was sponsored by AAA. So I've never that's called. Only experience. That's my, I've never <laughs> called them before for this exact reason. We're without a panelist because of AAA. Hashtag thanks AAA. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You, you and can he, give them a call yourself, and uh, you know your second call to them can be saying, uh, you know, we needed Austin Goodman tonight. Yeah. You know, it happened. Maybe not, Goody, but as much as AAA sucked, I think Miami was pretty terrible as well. So, Goody, Goody, let me ask you this. Miami, 87 points. They really did not compete in any game. So, I mean, I want to know your thoughts about that. I mean, it was an atrocious series for the Miami Heat. Let's be honest. The San Antonio Spurs, for me, I called it at the beginning of the entire playoffs. I said the San Antonio Spurs were going to take the ship this year, and they took it. And not only did they take it, but they took it in an incredible fashion. Um, they out the differential of points in this series was seventy points, a seventy point differential between the Spurs and the Heat, and that just stands out to me tenfold. Yes, LeBron James is the best player. He proved that on many occasions yeah. throughout the playoffs, and especially in the finals. Yeah. But let me tell you, you need support, and the support was not there. Now, a couple stats from the Spurs. They assisted on 66% of their field goals and averaged just 11.5 turnovers. That right there is exceptional basketball. No doubt about it, Goodman, but I had to interrupt you real quick. The United States just soared Faith 2-1. John Anthony Brooks from across from Grand mm-hmm. Zussi, uh, pretty exceptional. So United States 2, Ghana 1, 86 minutes. If God want to die, if you're listening, sorry, pal. (laughs) (laughs) No, but going back to the whole NBA thing, you know, Austin, you had mentioned it, you know, the Spurs outscored the Heat by 70 points. And that's incredible. But that also marked the biggest point differential in NBA Finals history. Exactly. And, you know, not only that, it's Tim Duncan's fifth NBA championship. 
The guy is three MVPs, two regular season MVPs. Honestly, he's the single best power forward in the game, and probably one of the best to ever play the game, uh, for that matter. And, of course, you know, when you have players like Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Kawhi Leonard, who is absolutely the future of this team at 22 years of age, and the youngest finals MVP besides Magic Johnson of Michigan State University, I mean, guys, there's no questions asked when it comes yeah. to the impact of the San Antonio Spurs, nice. and especially Kawhi and Duncan. The thing is, the thing with the Tony Parker that you mentioned, and I and I'll touch up on the Heat bench in a second because I have a lot to say about that. Tony Parker got all his points really in garbage time. He finished the game with 16 points, seven made for, uh, field goals, 18 attempts, so seven for 18 on the floor. Terrible game for him. He was struggling. At one point, he was one for 11. So for Tony Parker's standards, he played a terrible game. Tony Parker was non-existent all game. Really, this game's about Patty Mills with 17 points in 18 minutes. Absolutely unconscious for me on the arc. Five for eight beyond the arc. I thought he was excellent. And what about Manu Ginobili? Six for 11 from the floor, Faith. What about three for six beyond the arc? So between Patty Mills and Manu Ginobili, you're shooting way over 60% um, beyond the, uh, the free throw arc. That's exceptional. I think the game comes down goody, and I'm curious to know what you thought. If Miami had a legitimate bench, they would win this series. And I don't know, Faith. Ray Allen looked absolutely done. James had 31 points, 10 rebounds, five assists on you know for that fifth game, and he got little He's help done. from his teammates after the first quarter. I mean, I know people were talking about who got help. Yeah, who, no, James didn't get any help. He got no help. Yeah, and so you know, I, I know people were talking about it's literally James against the Spurs right now. Let me ask you this, and I'm curious to know, Goody, what you thought. A lot of people said that LeBron James checked out of this game with six minutes left. I thought he didn't check out of the game whatsoever. I didn't think you. you checked, know, I didn't think you checked out of the game, but I'm curious to know what you thought. I thought those naysayers are absolutely ridiculous. And as much as Skip Bayless loves the Spurs, he did not check out of this game with six minutes and 21 seconds left. I don't think that he checked out of the game that early. I think he checked out of the game when there was a minute 59 left, and the camera panned over to panned over to his face. That's while a good he point. Was sitting on the bench, he understood that he was dethroned. And you know, I, I say dethroned because simply of winning a championship. If the Heat win this series, LeBron James could be questionably the best NBA player we've ever seen. You know, the Heat dynasty could be moving forward. Now there are so many question marks in so many different areas for this Miami team. Now they're coming off of this loss. Quite frankly, though, I never thought that the Miami Heat were going to be able to take it to the Spurs simply because of ball movement and because of the bench that the Spurs have. Let's keep in mind, in Game 5, the Spurs had 25 assists, and the Heat had 14. You know, the Heat had 41 rebounds, and the Spurs had 40. They outbeat them right there. But, you know, what we need to understand is that, simply put, the Spurs defeated the Heat with an impact from the bench. As you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Patty Mills playing incredible 5 for 8 beyond the arc. He wasn't missing in that third quarter, and it, it was simply incredible. It was simply incredible. There were only two players on the Spurs bench that didn't have points, and that was Matt Bonner in seven minutes, zero points, and then Corey Joseph, two minutes, zero points. Let's keep in mind Miami's bench, one, two, three, three players without points, and a fourth player and a fifth player with only two points. We're talking with Austin Goodman, pack panelist. Uh, good to have you back on the show here, Goody. You mentioned, though, the bench of Miami is bad, but if you're Miami now, you lose. And I'm sick of people saying LeBron, and you mentioned something. Before I ask you about the bench, you know what? You said LeBron was dethroned. Really, this guy made four straight NBA Finals. Is that a dethrone? Find me the last team that did that. you got to look all the way into the 60s that last did that. So I think LeBron is getting the short end of the stick here, and the Heat still did something exceptional. You know, I think that he did something exceptional by keeping his composure at the end of the game and not freaking out at the players around him. You know what? I'm not going to shoot at LeBron because he is absolutely by far the best player in the game today. But if he would have won this championship, he would have been considered one of the best players ever. He didn't get that third straight title. He isn't comparable to Michael Jordan yet because of this loss. There are a lot of things that impact him as well as, is he going to stay along with this Miami Heat team? Is he going to go somewhere else where he's going to get a little bit more help? That's the question mark that ultimately lays over. 
There's no doubt about it, Goody. But Faith, let's ask I mean, I'm curious to know what you think here. You look at Miami. I keep mentioning the bench. If you, do you have to blow this up and start again? I mean, I think a big question to ask, like Austin What about their big three? That's Yeah, exactly. So, you know, after this, LeBron will become a free agent, correct? Yes. Yeah, he'll he be can, become a free agent. Well, he can opt out if he chooses mm-hmm. to, which I only imagine that the big three will opt out. That's an assumption. But. And so if people start throwing money his way, will he leave that big three or and will he pursue other options? I don't think LeBron leaves Miami, though. I, you think he's going Honestly, back? I think he might leave Miami. Let's keep oh, in mind. Come on, Goodman. Let, let's keep in mind the way Chris Bosh played in Game Five. Chris Bosh went six for fourteen from the floor, zero for five beyond the arc, one for two on the line, only had thirteen points. And Dwayne Wade, he is coming down on the end of his career. I would say Dwayne end Wade has his a good, career. You know, three years, four years left in his career. And that's just simply because of injuries. He was left out of 28 games throughout the regular season. Guys, let's take this into consideration. LeBron might be thinking bigger picture than just, you know, right now. He needs There's to no team way. around him, and clearly that was proven yesterday. All right, Goodman, let me ask you this. And quickly, because we only have about two more minutes with you before we got to give you the boot. You said LeBron might reconsider. Does he have to think about it? Miami's his... His uh his option, but let me ask you this: If he doesn't stay in Miami, where does he go? You know, there are a few places that would give him a heavy offer, and Dan do not say- would give him a heavy offer to come back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Goodman, and I could see that happening. But I could see him going to the Los Angeles Lakers and playing over there. You know, it's very up in the air. You know, it's one day after the loss. I agree. Will LeBron leave? Did, ever, did anybody think that LeBron was going to leave Cleveland when he announced that he was going to the Miami Heat? No, but he Absolutely was a kid not. then. But you got to remember, too, with the, with the collective bargaining agreement the way it was, it's a totally different collective bargaining agreement. Miami can offer him the biggest deal. Five years, max contract, millions more than any other team. Any other team that gives him another offer is only giving him four years. So if he's leaving for more money, that's literally impossible. Miami is the only team that can give him a max contract of five years and worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So that's something to note here. I don't think he's well, money. I don't think he's money digging at all. I don't. I never said it was a money thing. I, I simply said that he was going to play in search of other players that are going to help improve LeBron's game a little bit more than what this big three and non-existent bench can do for him. Goody, all the best. Um, We look forward to having you in studio with us again uh, this coming Monday. Get that car fixed, will you? I will do my best, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Goody. You know, I'm looking forward to that dinner. Hey, you got to name the place. You let me know. And listeners, I owe Austin Goodman a dinner. So that being said, as long as he knows the word, he gets it. Well, it looks like I roll shit on that one, bro. Thanks for the call, Goody. Uh, Talk to you soon, guys. You got it. So Austin Goodman, PAC panelist with us, who was not uh, able to be with us today. Um, Car broke down, Faith, but something must be around AAA. Man, we got to give them a call and let them know that we're disappointed. Yeah, we want our panelists back, seriously. But we just want to tell all the listeners that are listening with us, along with the Ghana and United States game, it is a final to one United States. John Anthony Brooks, the sub, comes in the... (laughs) The halftime sub, John Yales, comes in and saves a game, really, for the United States of America. And they're up 2-1. They get the three points. They play a stocky Brazil team. I'm sorry, a Portugal team. Hopefully they can play a Brazil team down the road. <laughs> but they play another Portuguese team, that's Portugal, in their second game before a clash of Titans. Germans versus German-Americans, I like to say, with Team Germany. Um, so, quick prediction, Faith and John. Uh, United States with the win here. Now they go forward. I, I keep, I'm soccer crazy. <laughs> uh, just a way too early prediction. Portugal, United States. Faith. United States. We'll score. Uh-huh. Let's do 3-1. United States. Yes. So roll. Pepe is a big factor. Mm-hmm. John Yales. 2-2, U.S. I th- and Portugal. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm going to agree with you, John. I think this game is a draw. I think it's a draw, and I think what's interesting is United States, I think they will draw out. 
I think this is a very interesting prediction for me, and I said five points will get them through. Even though Germany defeated them today for to I zero. I care less. United States plays exactly the same way Germany does. If there's one team in this group that can draw the Germans, it's the United States. They do. They play the exact same tactical formation. Jurgi Lowe is an apprentice of Jurgen Klinsmann. He was his assistant in the 2006 World Cup over in Germany. A uh, World Cup that the Germans finished third in, a semifinalist. So in my opinion, Faith, I like the Germans in this group, the United States to come right after that. So pretty interesting stuff. But for special thanks to Godwin Adai, Lands United midfielder with us, owner of Lands United, Jeremy Sanson, talking a little World Cup stuff over at Jimmy's Pub. Austin Goodman, pack panelist who has a flat tire. We look forward to having you next week. For Faith, John Yales, Dan Tyler, our social media guy. I'm Fino. You can see us from 7 8 every Monday from the basement of Holden Hall, WDBM East Lansing.